All right, everyone. Good morning, friends. How's everyone doing? As, as Ian was talking about Christmas uh, morning, I, I also was like, what does Josh have in store for everyone? And why did I say I would do that? Um, I, well, I said I would do it because I, I do believe that there, I hate the idea of people in our community a, not having anywhere to go on Christmas. I obviously have uh, a family that I have to be with, but I also know my family on Christmas break are not gonna get up at 5 a.m. And so uh, a 6 a.m. gathering, you know, after we're coming to the last morning. Tomorrow's the last morning of the Psalm 119 study. Um, and uh, it's been a power, it's been harder this time than ever before. I am getting older and, and getting up every day at 4.30 has been uh, more than a little challenging. Uh, but there is such a, um, there's been such a powerful thing for me to do this during the month of December because Christmas for me can be very stressful. Uh, it's a very busy time at the church. Uh, uh, there's obviously, like, like myself, I'm sure many of you can relate to the challenges of seeing family that maybe are difficult. I always say the hardest people to love are often the people we can be closest to and uh, tensions and strained relationships that are coming together. And there's just something about every day, I gotta get up and prepare a message and bring the word to a group of people in the context of community that remind me that, that Jesus, uh, when Jesus is placed at the forefront of our days, um, it allows us to enter into the difficulties of existence uh, with, a, with a peace that uh, does not dissipate. And so um, I do pray that many of you come on Christmas morning. Uh, you know, the early sunrise service is generally reserved for, uh, for Easter. Um, but I love the idea of, of Christmas morning. We begin the day by celebrating the incarnation, uh, the entrance of God uh, into our broken world, his world. The creator becomes creature. Uh, that is a, a magnificent thing as we're going to consider today um, uh, the concept of, of gift, the concept of generosity, uh, the concept of what is it that we celebrate um, as Christians and, and, and then how is it that we should respond uh, to uh, what God has done for us in Jesus. Uh, you know, I want to just begin with, you know, as a, as a child, uh, you know, one of my deepest concerns, I loved Christmas. I mean, I really loved it. Uh, and I loved the, uh, is that a little feedback? I think it might be coming through the monitors, is possibly. Um, when you think about this, uh, this concept of, of Santa Claus, which I love Christmas, um, and, uh, and, and I like Santa Claus, and that's one of the things I was thinking I could do for Christmas morning um, is, you know, I could be maybe Santa, um, and then you guys can do photos uh, with me. Wouldn't that be creepy? Come on over. <laughs> Have a seat. Have you been naughty? <laughs> that's culty, isn't it? It just immediately got awkward and just like inappropriate even on many levels. Uh, but I was a kid, I've always struggled with a lot of anxiety, the, the sense that I'm failing, and the, the sense that, that I am the kid that doesn't deserve, uh, deserve what, I, what I hoped I would get. And, and so I struggled, uh, I struggled with understanding the concept of generosity, not only in terms of, of how it feels to give, 
but, but also the difficulty. There's two sides to the discipline of generosity. Uh, there, is, there, is both, um, there is both surrender, I give to you, but there is also acceptance, I receive what, what's been given to me. And acceptance can be as difficult, sometimes even more difficult than giving. Uh, and, and I think that when we think of the concept of generosity, the generosity of God toward us in Jesus requires um, a posture of acceptance. Uh, we're not going to accept a savior if we don't think we need help. Uh, there's, there is, a, there is a, a humility that is required in accepting a gift. Um, and I've seen people that really struggle with receiving gifts. They don't like the attention. They, uh, they, they don't need anything. Uh, um, and, and yet, there's a, it doesn't matter if you have everything there is to, to have in the world. To, to receive a gift from someone is for you to accept that they value you, <laughs> that, they, that, that they want to let you know in some way that, that you matter to them. And I think that for us as Christians, one of the most important things we can keep our minds fixated upon in this season is that on your worst day, God cares about you that you matter to him. When it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That, that, the essence of that statement is that he cares about you. If the gospel means anything, it means that he cares about you. He gives. And the question is, is will we receive? And when we receive, as we become uh, receptacle <laughs> vessels, we receive the life of Christ into us, then the question is, is then what does it look like for it to be played out in real time? And this is why we can never separate the commands of scripture to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. The two uh, are two sides of the same, just like we must receive and give, uh, we must also understand that as we enter into intimacy with God, our love of God is actually experienced most fully as we give ourselves to one another. And so building on last week's message of we must be a people of love, that love is the only tangible evidence that we are truly children of God. And when I say love, I mean specifically agape love. I'm talking about grace. I'm talking about love without contingency, a love that comes through to us, not because we deserve it, but because it's God's nature to give. And, and the ability to now be conduits of that love to others, even those who have hurt us, even those who have disappointed us, that we're not like Santa Claus, we're not keeping a list of who's been naughty and who's been nice. Uh, we are giving to people of ourselves because God has so graciously given us so much in him. And that is why it says, he who's been forgiven much loves much. And I sometimes wonder when I see lovelessness in the Christian, if they just simply don't understand how much they've been forgiven. So I wanna focus in on the concept of generosity today because I believe that there is much that is lost uh, when we don't talk about the importance of generosity as a Christian, especially in light of what it is that we're celebrating in Christmas, which is a time that's often incredibly financially stressful, emotionally stressful. It's funny, we all love it. We all, we all love Christmas, and yet it also can be this time that, that it, it creates a lot of conflict. And, and the world has taken the 
concept of Christian and it has turned it into a purely material focused reality. And yet even within a secular world, there's still something that people grab a hold of around the idea of Christmas that, there, that it's meant to be, at least it's supposed to be, even if it isn't, a time in which people reconnect and remember that life isn't just simply about them. And so I look at that even, even within this secular age of, of a self-oriented world, there's still something in the human heart that recognizes that I'm probably gonna be at my best when I'm poured out for the good of others rather than, than being one who is constantly navel-gazing because not much good comes from an over-analysis of oneself, is there? Examine yourself is the, is the command of scripture, not analyze yourself. So 2 Corinthians chapter eight, verses um, one through seven, I wanna begin here. The apostle Paul in his letters to the Corinthians uh, comes, to, comes to the end of this letter and he begins to tell them about a church uh, in the, the churches in Macedonia were how they were incredibly generous. And he, not only is he bringing the gospel to the known world, but he also, he also would pay attention to where churches were hurting, where churches were struggling financially, where, where, they, were, where they needed help, because he was an apostle. So he wasn't, he wasn't primarily just, uh, he, I wouldn't say that he was a pastor, that wasn't his primary gifting. Uh, Paul was an apostle, he was, he was a pioneer of new works, but he also would visit these churches and he would encourage the churches to care for other churches, maybe that they hadn't even been to, and they would collect, take collections when he would come and do and teach and help those churches grow. And, and I love what he says here in verses one through seven. I think this is meant for us to think of as the, what door of hope I pray would represent uh, in a time like Christmas. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So this was a people that actually were, were poor, and yet they responded out of an overwhelming sense of gratitude to Jesus um, to become generous and generous to other church bodies, churches that they weren't even connected with on a relational level. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Love of God, love of neighbor. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Titus was sent by Paul to, um, to prepare them and to, and to ask them to prepare a gift to bring back to the church in Jerusalem. And what does, he, what does he go on to say? He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in the grace of giving. I love that phrase, the grace of giving. God and Jesus has made his grace based not on our track record, 
it is actually grace is the sole basis of our salvation. It's not, he didn't save us because of how well we perform. He, he, he's very different from Santa in that way. The God is a God who actually has moved toward us in this incredible gift, this one-way love, a love that, that has come down to us. I always say the gospel is down to earth. It's not, it's not found in our attempts to prove anything to God based upon our own, our own works, our own efforts. He loves us because it's his nature to love us. And now he's, Paul is saying to this church, he says, listen, you understand God's grace to you. You're excelling in faith. You're excelling in knowledge. You're growing in all of these ways. But allow this grace to be a part of your maturity. And what he says is it's, he challenges them at a place where none of us like to be challenged. And I wanna just state that when it comes to the concept of giving and generosity, it's, I really have always struggled with, I've given very few messages on generosity in the whole history of Dorf Hope, probably five times in the entire history of the church. And I say that to my shame because I forget that it is a gift of grace <laughs> to participate in the kingdom of Jesus and to, be, to recognize that there is a real tyranny of things that constantly oppresses us as a people and why we need to remind each other. There, the gospel is not about a self-imposed poverty, but it is about a self-emptying that allows us to um, have our desires reorganized. Our disordered loves are the things that are often challenged the most when it comes to what we do with our checkbook. And most of us don't write, I haven't written a check forever. Darcy handles all the finances. This is another reason why I don't talk about giving. But you don't wanna know why I don't talk about it. It's because I worked at churches where that was the focus, was, was this idea, it's like a church that already has so much and yet, and, but it's never enough. And it would be, I, I remember working at a church and they ran a campaign called 40 for 40. We're raising 40 million for the 40 acres that we just bought so that we can build a Christian city to protect us from the, from the tyranny of that secular world out there. And I'm like, this is not okay at all. I don't like anything about this. Um, and yet I'm a key person in fundraising for the Palau Association. Um, I do a lot of work for the Palau's and one of the main things I do is the Bible teaching at their, at their big donor weekends. And the reason I do it is because the raising of money that they bring in, and it, every weekend, we do three a year, there's, there's about 60 to 100 people at these events that I do, and they raise approximately three and a half million at every single one of them. <laughs> and all of that money goes to preaching the gospel to the ends of the world. And it's deep commitment to the local church and the kind of apostolic way in which they, they function. Uh, and I love their transparency and the, the absolute humility in which they function. There's no egos. I mean, Luis Palau was, was the most humble Christian man that I've ever had the privilege of working with, that at 85 years old, he still, he would not treat the Queen of England, who he shared the gospel with, any differently than he would treat the server at, uh, at the rec breakfast place where we used to meet once a month when he was mentoring me in the early days of Door of Hope on evangelism. That kind of spirit, it was like, man, it is not hard for me to tell people they should give to this. Um, but for some reason, when it comes to the church, because there have been so many abuses historically, 
and because I am so naturally evangelistic, I've never wanted people to come in and like, oh, there he goes, he's just after our money. Uh, and and I'm, I'm realizing now, like, oh my gosh, scripture, Jesus has so much to say about money. Something like 25% of his teachings has to do with money. And I started realizing that money is not the root of all, of all evil, but it is the root of all kinds of evil. It itself is neutral, but our worship of the material world, our obsession with the things that we want rather than what we need, this instantaneous culture in which we live in is that I, would rec I recognize that one of the, the marks of spiritual maturity has to do with how it is that we spend our money. And I say that and it's immediately convicting for me. Because I, like all of you, get, I am constantly confronted with a world telling me that I need this and that and this thing. If you get, when you get older, it's funny, when you're younger, you just want to like spend it on, on, on these different kinds of toys, you know? Like I, like I was like obsessed with, you know, everything that fed into my vanity. And then when you get older, it's just new kinds of toys to try to reproduce the vanity that you know you're losing. Um, so it's like, you know, it's like before I'm like, I'm paying to have my hair change colors every every week because I want to be a rock star. Now it's just I'm paying for things to keep my hair from falling out. All of it is, is coming from the same, same self-focus. <laughs> it's like, I used to dye my hair black. Now I just, you know, and now I'm just like, oh God, you can really see the scalp here. This is not okay. Uh, what's, what's happening to me? Um, yeah, these are, these are the realities. We, 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 are, we are obsessed with what we have. And here's the two kind of mentalities that I think can really hinder us from understanding the very spirit of the gospel is that we don't understand that the grace that is involved in us becoming conduits of God's generosity. In other words, where we allow our lives to become fully his possession and now we are stewards of the things that we have as we represent him. In other words, we are allowing Jesus permission to utilize our whole personhood that includes our minds, our hands, our feet and our possessions to further his kingdom purposes. Lord, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to spend my money? Where do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? Do we even ask God those questions? Because if sin ultimately is us being our own God, making our own decisions about what we should do with our own lives, then, uh, then I would say that, that we should, if we wanna know where our hearts are most fixated, just look at where you spend your money. What is it that you spend the majority of your money on? Is it spent more on yourself? Or, is it, or is, it, is it, do you actually live in such a way that you're able to give, give away much? We all know that it feels good to be generous. And yet we still fundamentally believe that it still might feel better to spend it on myself. I always say there's two kinds of people. It's like the person that it doesn't like to spend money at all. So they're super frugal. But the problem is that they live with a scarcity mentality. That is, I have to protect what I have because I might not always have it, you know? You never know when something disastrous, when I, I just need to, to hide it away. And if, I know you guys went over the parables over the summer, and I'm sure the parable of, uh, the, of the stewards uh, was brought forth, but we should be very careful to not try to, uh, you can't take any of it with you. Uh, and we shouldn't be frivolous spending it on, on food and drink all the time, just so you know. And I, 
I probably fall into the other category. I'm not an I'm not a um, overly frugal personality. Um, I'm not really a money obsessed person, but I do. In the words of George McDonald, I love beautiful things, but I am content to live without them. I really resonate with the first half of that statement. <laughs> I love beautiful things. I don't really care that much about money, but I love, I love it. I, I hate that Jessica Mackey, it still haunts me because I don't, still don't know if it was a compliment when she said, I think you're the first real Christian hedonist I've ever met. And I'm like, I don't think those words go together. I don't care if Piper wrote a book called that, it's wrong. Because hedonism seems to be one who is driven by their own appetites. And I am a person who likes to live in the moment and I like to have fun. And it can, and that can, and then I can be wasteful. So whether you're, whether you're, you're hiding it away or you're wasteful, neither, neither of those worlds play into the concept of generous. I'm giving it away for the good of others because I want to serve King Jesus with what I have. And, and I want to experience this. I've experienced the grace of God so much that I want to be a conduit of grace. You know, one of the most powerful moments in my childhood where I was struck with the belief that Jesus shows up powerfully in the lives of others was when I grew up ex in extreme poverty. And some of you guys can relate to that. I was the kid who never got new clothes. I always got hand-me-down clothes. I was the one that, you know, when, when, uh, when uh, the Air Jordan came out, I was in seventh grade and uh, I wanted a pair so bad. It's all I wanted for Christmas, red and black Air Jordans. And, and what did I get? I got the plastic ones from Volume Shoe Source, which everyone just made fun of. It would have been better off for me to not have any than to have the fake ones because there was nothing worse than the fake. It was that kind of like constant humiliation. Everyone had Levi's. My mom bought me tough skins because I was hard on my clothes. And so I had to wear these ugly jeans that had reinforced knees so that she wouldn't have to pay for patches. You know, up till fifth grade, I wore those brown suede hideous shoes from Sears Roebuck that were like, are kind of hip now, but they weren't cool then. They were like, everyone gets vans, I get that. Everyone has feathered hair. And it's cool, like Ralph Macchio. No, what do I get? I get a helmet cut by my mother who like stuck a, like a bowl over my head and just cut it around my ears unevenly. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that I became such a vain adult. Uh, that when you're tormented with an awareness of aesthetic beauty and never able to have any of it for yourself. I remember being the kid who wrote a letter to Santa asking for a telescope only to get a letter back from Santa that the North Pole was all out of telescopes that year. And maybe, um, maybe you should ask for something a little smaller because there are smaller things available. And so I asked for a keyboard and Santa came through for me, but it was the world's smallest keyboard ever. It was literally this big. That was my, I thought I was going to get a keyboard, and I got a key, keyboard for Keebler Elves. I mean, it was, it was tiny. It was like you couldn't even play with your pinkies. And I was like, Santa's so awesome. This is amazing. <laughs> All of these things are experiences with possessions, whether it, you're a have-not or a have. <laughs> They, 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 the results are the same when we allow those things to be the center of our focus. 
people that don't have much can be just as obsessed with material possessions as people that have everything. And the question isn't whether you have too much or you have too little. The question is, is do you have Jesus who is gracious and do you hold everything else in this world loosely? That is the grace of giving. God in Jesus has made his grace and not our track record, the sole basis of salvation. Our generosity should flow out of a life that has been captivated by God's one-way love toward us. Secondly, I, I, I want us to look at verses eight and nine of chapter eight, because this is what I refer to as the kenosis of giving. And kenosis is a theological term that is used to describe the self-emptying of Jesus. But it is a crucial concept in understanding the gospel. Actually, I think it's one of the most powerful concepts in the gospel. It definitely is at the center of the incarnation that God, that, that the Son of God left his glory, the glory that he had with the Father, and he entered into the frailty and weakness of humanity, and that he emptied himself even to the point of death. And what does it say here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 9? I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity. He's like, Paul says, I'm not telling you. If people always ask me, do, well, don't, don't you ask people to give a tithe? Have, have you ever seen a basket handed out at Door of Hope? The only time you'll ever see that is when we take a special offering on Christmas Eve for, for an organization that we give the entire amount away um, to an outside organization. And, and that's a, it's a powerful way in which we remind each other that we want to be an expression of the generosity that we've experienced from God toward others. We don't hand out, we don't hand out plates and we don't ask for a tithe because we don't see it as a New Testament principle. The tithe was, the children of Israel were commanded to give a tenth, the first 10%, the first fruit of everything uh, to God. It was almost like, uh, it was like a, a tax uh, for, a, for a nation that was under a theodicy, God is their ruler. And that tax went to, to keeping the temple and allowing the Levites to not have any portion in the land, but the Lord himself would be their portion. But we are called a royal priesthood, and the tithe is no longer the commands. Uh, law is not what drives us. It is grace. And grace means that this is something that, that, that shows the sincerity of one's heart. I think a tithe is a great place to start. And I think it's a great principle to give first to the Lord. That's why rise early and seek God's face before you seek any other face. It's right affections and God-centered existence is a beautiful thing. But the point isn't how much do you give? The point is, is do, you do you long to, to give out of the joy of what you have been given in Jesus? And this is why Paul says, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, through his poverty might become rich. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I love that. Jesus poured himself out. This is what it says in Philippians 2, the great kenosis, the self-emptying. It says, do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Do we do that? Do we value others above ourselves? Not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's a really convicting one for me, is I'm a man of many interests. And those interests often 
can dominate in the places where I've been the most hurtful in my relationships, especially in context with my wife and my kids who have to live with me, is my excitability about everything. But what happens if you allow your own interest to become the dominant force is that it makes people feel like you're not interested in what they're thinking about, what they care about. Part of, of allowing grace to produce in us a generous posture means that we are constantly aware that our lives are meant to be poured out, broken bread and poured out wine for the good of those that we come into contact with. And that is no easy task. Family is one of the great places where that is tested more than anywhere else. Uh, but I, I, I think this is a, a powerful thing. When we think of this, of, of this passage in Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And here's the kenosis, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, he poured himself out. By becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. When we celebrate the incarnation at Christmas, what we are cel celebrating is the self-emptying of Jesus. And the self-emptying didn't just happen on the cross. It began the moment he entered into the frailty of the human experience. I believe that it, Jesus entered into sinful flesh. Flesh is always a symbol of that which is working against God in a fallen world. That he was born into sinful flesh, but he himself did not submit to that reality. He was born into sinful flesh, the frailty of a broken body, just like the rest of the world, but without sin. In other words, he endured. He was actually able to stand up against the temptations to make life about himself, to take material, material possessions and, and all the desires that we are driven by as human beings. Jesus denied those things in total and complete submission to the Father by the empowerment of the Spirit. And he fixated his mind upon, upon the path to Jerusalem where he would ultimately be crucified. The cr for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and the shame of the cross. And what was that joy that he that was set before him that allowed him to endure such unbelievable suffering and a willingness to empty himself. You, you are the joy that was set before him. This is the generosity of God. And the kenosis of giving for us is this, is that to give, to be a generous people requires a emptying of self. So I'm gonna talk about why we should give in just a second. And, and how, it, how it actually affects our whole personhood. But I just want to note that that self-emptying, the, the positive aspect of generosity is it actually reminds us of the ability to say no to the flesh. When we, when we say, I'm going to give myself away, I'm going to give what is mine for the good of others, I'm going to sacrifice what I want that I might participate in what someone needs is, is, is a powerful reminder that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually can live differently. We can, we can become conduits of God's grace in spite of the mixture that is within us. And there are gonna be times where we just 
simply succumb to our own selfishness. And the good news is that grace is not built upon whether you've been selfish or whether you've been gracious. Grace is built upon God's love toward you in spite of either of those things. But I will tell you this, a gracious spirit is what will attune your mind to the ever-present grace of God. When we live selfishly, we hide God's grace from our, from our view. We lose sight of it. It blinds us to God's presence. We end up like Jacob. God was in this place and I didn't know it. Man, we need to know that God is in this place, but part of our ability to know that he is with us and for us is by living in the light and, and continuing to, to surrender ourselves. And when I say surrender, I don't mean just to stop trying. I'm saying let go of the lie that God never intended you to be and cling to the truth of who Jesus is, which means it's active. It is an active passivity. It is a willingness to follow him wherever he goes. And, and he's going to lead you into places of great sacrifice because we have to continue, as Jacques Ellul said, to represent to the world what it means to be the sacrificial lamb. Ellul said, we cannot afford as Christians to be wolves who are trying to assert spiritual domination over people. We must continually be a witness to what it means to be a people who represent the very one who surrendered his life, even to the point of death, so that we could live. It's the upside down kingdom of Jesus. This is the kenosis of giving. And Paul says, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm, I'm saying that this is one of the great litmus tests of where your, what really owns your heart. And I hope you know, and I love, how can you argue against this argumentation? Tim Mackey gave a great message on this text uh, in 2012. And, and his point is the same point I'm making right now, which is you just can't argue against, Paul uses the gospel as a motivation because only right affections motivates us to take right actions. Uh, and what we love is what we worship. And when we're asked to consider our generosity or lack thereof, um, what it's challenging is where our affections are, what really possesses our hearts and our minds. Finally, the joy of giving. He goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 8. And he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I've seen this passage abused like no other passage. Uh, there's nothing worse than the, the, you know, in my early days, before I was a Christian, I, just, I, I loved to get stoned and watch TBN. And I say that to my shame, but it was the constant sales pitch. You know, if you give a $50 love seed, um, uh, you know, I'm gonna send you this rag that I wipe the sweat off my forehead that has healing properties. God's gonna give you, uh, he's gonna give you a, a harvest, the, the promise, he's gonna double what, you, listen, the early, Paul had to tell the church to stop giving because it was actually creating poverty for them. So they weren't, they weren't getting back more than they were giving. <laughs> They were actually entering into financial ruin because they were giving too much. He said, you literally can't, I can't accept anymore. I know you want to honor God and you want to help a church that's struggling, but you're actually creating a bad situation for yourself. So it's a foolish thing to try to turn this into a, 
kind of tit for tat. If you give this much, God's going to give you back double. Like, that, that isn't how, that's, he gives us what we need. And sometimes what we need is just less. And sometimes what we need is more. This is why the, the great Proverbs is this. Lord, don't give me so much that I forget you or so little that I curse you. Just give me what I need. But let's be honest. How much do I need? A little bit more. That's the motto, isn't it? And so here he says, listen, what we give into the world, we're going to get back. And that's just a, that's like, that's not a, that's not even just a Christian idea. That's a, a common concept. There is cause and effect. If you're a selfish person, your world will shrink down. Your selfishness will impact your ability to be in, in real relationship with others. This is why Scrooge is still an incredibly popular Christmas uh, show because it's all about a person who discovers the real meaning of life, the real joy is not in hoarding of things, material things. It's why Citizen Kane is considered the greatest film of all time. I question that, but I think it's really good. Uh, and I think all of them speak to the danger, the diminishment of life when life becomes defined by things. And, and here, what Paul is saying is that the person that has been truly set free by the gospel is recognizes that I can't take any of these things with me. None of these things are going are gonna to go with me to heaven. I just want them to be utilized for God's kingdom. I'm not going to hoard, nor am I going to be frivolous because there are also people that... I'm not going to be hiding away my treasures to stockpile for myself, nor am I going to be a person that, um, that just spins it frivolously on myself. No, I want to be a person that is wise. And, and, and considers Jesus in the decision-making that I make around the things that he has given me. How is my life honoring Jesus' lordship? And there is a joy that comes when we recognize there is always joy when we do what is right. And I, I think that that's the, that's the principle. It's just a simple principle. You sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Don't, don't worry about what you're able to give. Just give something to reflect the fact that God has given you so much. I am trying, Paul is saying, to free you from the tyranny of things so that you can enjoy the blessedness of possessing nothing. And all I mean by that is not self-imposed poverty, but recognizing that I don't actually possess anything. Everything I have is a gift from him. And I want to utilize what I have as a gift to serve him. Because when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, the cost of following Jesus, it costs us everything. It means that there is no part of our life that is now uh, uh, outside of his reign or control. I love this because the joy of giving comes through that self-emptying, coming to a place where we truly learn what it means to die to the lies that we hear, to the lies that we believe, so that we can become the person that we're meant to be. I'm reminded of the poet Franz Wright, who said, how does one go about dying? Who on earth is going to teach me? The world is filled with people who have never died. No one should say that of a Christian. We should be, we should be living reflections of what it means to live the good death to die daily to the lie that we are somehow our own gods and give ourselves in surrender to Jesus. 
I want to just close with, with just these four ideas that I want you to take with you. So why should we give? Well, I want to first of all speak now to, it's important for me to establish a gospel-centered understanding of why it is that we need to be a generous people, but I want to actually speak practically to Door of Hope and your church and the reality of what it means to be a church post-COVID as we try to figure out how to be a gospel-centered community that brings forth a real awakening in a city like Portland, which I believe God wants to do through his church, that God is looking for a people that say, I want to see an awakening happen. I want to see my lost friends be found in you, Jesus. I want to see my family that don't know you to know you. I want to be a conduit of your grace in a very dark place. And churches in this city are closing down all over. Nationally, the church, um, churches nationally have dropped approximately 15% in giving. And there's been a massive exodus out of the church um, of millennial believers. And that's just a fact. So Door of Hope is not unique. Before COVID hit, we're 1,400 people on a Sunday. Two years later, three years later, uh, it's, it's almost three years, crazy. Uh, we, are, we are a church that has been cut in half and we're, building, and we're building back up and lots of new people are coming. And with new people coming and new people getting converted, it takes time to up and understand what it is. I, I didn't give the first two years I was a Christian because I didn't even know you were supposed to. Um, and Darcy wasn't a Christian, so she would never have gone for it. Uh, so I, everybody's on a different faith journey. But here's the thing. This is the actual truth about Door of Hope. Door of Hope has always been a church. Even when we were in the upwards of almost 2,000 people back in 2015, I am the master of sabotaging our growth because it wasn't healthy growth. It was a lot of voyeuristic growth of people coming to watch but not actually be invested. And I would we would clear the house, unfortunately, probably more aggressively than I meant to. Um, but I remember in that season, we still actually only had about 50 more giving units a month than we do now. So at 2,000 people, it was about 250 giving units. Now, if we were to have everybody here on the same Sunday, we're about 800 people. You take 800 people, and of those 800, there are 200 people in this church that essentially support you being able to sit here if you're not one of those 200. You know how much we spend on coffee a year? $10,000, $10,000 in coffee. Listen, if, if we're looking at coffee or staff, like I'm gonna serve you Folgers, man. <laughs> I, in, 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 all sincere, in all sincerity, it's like our gener the generosity I, I think that this is a community that is, I, I love when people send me, I got so many emails this summer while I was, while I was gone. It was so encouraging. People were like, hey, I, I visited, I was hoping to see you, but you weren't there. Ian gave a great message. But the thing that like, was amazing is just the, the people, I just felt loved. I, I, I literally received probably five to six emails just in my sabbatical about what an incredibly gracious community this is, how welcoming it is, that people seem to care and they're excited uh, and, and I think that's always been true, but Door of Hope has always been just a big old F-bomb when, when it comes to generosity. I mean, in the early days, I swear we got joints in the offering box more than we got money in there. Um, <laughs> I loved, it was such a sign of how many young people we had uh, because 
there would always be bags of change, like, like a barista's like tips like from the, from the week, which is, I, I miss those, I miss those days. Here's where we're at, guys. With a 15% drop in the, in the building that we are in, we own this building and the Northeast building, um, we, are, we are looking at right now an 8,000 a month deficit. An 8,000 a month deficit, it's more like $8,500, uh, means that by June, if we were to keep going at the rate we're going right now, if we do not see an uptick in our giving, and our giving is not a lot, we're, we, we, we're gonna bring in about 1.1 million. Uh, we used to bring in about 1.5. So that loss of that, that money has put our budget into, into danger. 1.5 million, by the way, is what the Bible Project brings in a week, every week. Um, and, and I think that even speaks to the fact that church um, people uh, are, are finding ways to go to church without going to church, uh, and which, which Tim and John would never want that to be the case. And I love that they encourage people to be connected to the community. But this is, we're still dealing with, a, with an era in which people are questioning whether they should go to church or can they just love Jesus and be Christians from a distance. Well, we're here. And I believe that the greatest responsibility of the church is to be a witness by gathering together in places like Portland, that this church is meant to be filled with people worshiping the living Christ because what it communicates to a lost world is that we don't worship, this is not some empty, some empty castle um, of, that, it was, that had a king that no longer exists. But this is, this, is a, this is a building filled with broken people who have been healed by the living Jesus and we want to be a reflection of that healing into the community. We want to see the people of this neighborhood saved. And we can't, we can't represent the reality of Jesus if we have to close our doors. And what we're looking at right now is if we don't turn things around, we're going to, A, we would run out of our, our savings by June. We do not have a large staff. Uh, we, we've always ran an extremely lean staff. And I know this staff, they, these people love you guys. They serve endlessly. Ian's been here every single morning to help me get ready for the 6 a.m. Bible study. And I mean, I see the ways that your pastoral staff are just meeting with people endlessly and doing the very best they can and, and often working way more than they ought to. And, and this is, and, and our thanks to them would be that if we don't see a change, we're gonna have to start doing layoffs in March. And we can't afford to lose pastoral staff. You know how little it would take? I just, I'm not even a math guy, okay? I can't add. Darcy gets embarrassed that I would add, I would add up tip amounts on my fingers. And she taught me, well, at least do it under the table when you. <laughs> the fact is, is that if 100 people, if 100 people gave, gave just a couple hundred dollars a month, that would take care of everything. 200 people would just need to give 40 bucks. 40 bucks a month, if 200 pe more people gave. There are so many people here right now that have never even considered giving to the church, but how do you think we actually exist? Nobody is getting outrageous salaries, nobody. There is not a big distance between lead pastor or other pastoral staff. Uh, you know, we're, we, this is a humble church. Uh, this is not a church, this is not the industry you wanna go into if you wanna get rich, at least not in this city. Uh, and, when I see churches closing doors because God's people stopped going, that's a, that's a sign that maybe, hey, maybe the time the church, God isn't with that church, but we're growing. 
So if we're growing, that tells me you wanna be here. And if you wanna be here, you need to understand that you are called to participate. Darcy and I give, first thing, we give back to the church because this is our church community. This is what our staff does, it's what our elders do. And it's just part of being a Christian. And is $40 a month to, to protect your pastoral staff who's gonna be here for you when you end up in a, in, in a, in a trial where you need spiritual guidance? That just is not a big ask. And so I'm not here to guilt you. I'm just here to be, I want to, Christian is able to say what a thing is realistically. And the realistic thing is, is that we're going to start having to lose staff to stay open and we will not be able to provide the care that you guys deserve uh, as a church. And, and, and if it's just because I never took the time to tell you how important it is to be generous, then that's on me. And I just, I can't, I can't allow that. And so I'm willing to step out and awkwardly give a message on generosity right before Christmas, but I think it couldn't be a better time because I believe that what is necessary, I can go out and raise money for Door of Hope outside of the church, but honestly, it's just wrong. I don't, why, should, why should people that don't go here keep the doors open because our people won't do it for themselves? It just doesn't seem appropriate. Um, and so I, I just, you know, if everybody, if we knew that everyone in the church was giving what they could and we still didn't have enough, it would be no, no brainer. I know people that would give a check that could handle what we bring in in a year by themselves. That's not what we need though. What we need is God wants to grow us as a community toward a greater understanding of what it means to be a generous people. Generosity brings freedom, guys. It brings freedom from the tyranny of things and the ways that we turn the things of this world into idolatry. Generosity increases faith. It forces us to live by faith. It reminds us again and again that what I have and who I am does not belong to me. I am here to steward the life that Jesus has given me as his child and his lordship means that I am to participate in his kingdom purposes. It increases our faith in King Jesus when we actually begin to give and begin to feel the freedom that we have from allowing stuff to define what we are and who we are. When we, when we begin to give toward Jesus's mission, which is bringing the gospel to the world, which is what I'm asking you to give toward. I'm not asking you to give to us so we can jack up salaries to some stupid amount. No, I'm asking you to give to keep the lights on and to keep the staff that you have paid. Uh, these are, real, so you can keep having your Kova coffee. Because personally, I kind of like, I think we should do the, the, the kind that you just dissolves. You know, what's that? Uh, Nescafe, that's a big one in third world countries. I kind of like it. Just a jar of Nescafe, you got hot water right there. Just stick a teaspoon of that stuff, it's crazy. It's like, you'll be wired for hours. No, we want to, there's buildings, the Northeast building's roof's about to fall in. Like we, we're a family of churches. Like there are things that we want to take care of. And we, want to, we don't want to just be in a state of emergency where we've got to, what are we gonna do to fix this? Because we want to be thinking broadly, we want vision. What motivates people is vision beyond what we're doing here. We want to plant more churches. We want to raise up more pastors. We want to see more people reached with the gospel of Jesus. And those things require, it's a material world, a physical world, which means that it costs. But may we give. Increase your faith by partnering with Jesus. I promise it will. Generosity helps others. At its most basic level, we are to be a people that care about, as Paul said, about the needs of those around us more than we care about ourselves. 
it reorients our lives outward. How much larger would your world be if you were smaller in it? And generosity honors God. It actually brings God, it says, loves, Paul writes, he loves a cheerful giver. We give because we want God to be honored in everything that we do and we want to reflect his generosity toward us. So what we're gonna do in closing is we actually are gonna hand out plates and I'm gonna walk around and watch what each one of you give. And I will tell you if it's enough because God has chosen me for that role. I'll be like, come on, a little more, a little more. Really, come on, no. Wouldn't that be, I actually heard of a pastor doing that and I could not believe it, but I also thought it was kind of rad. I would never do that, that was, that's terrible. Um, you guys, in all seriousness, I know you love this church and I, I, I would, you would have every right to be angry at me if I didn't tell you what the need was. Um, but I, I want you to hear it. And you need to keep hearing it because there's different people here every week. But this, this message is important and this is, I want, I want your freedom. Um, I'm after your liberty in Christ. I'm after your joy in Christ. Um, I am after your maturity in Christ. And all of these things um, are helped uh, when we begin to let go of what we think is rightfully ours and recognize that it's all a gift. So live with hands that are open. And, and, and take care of your community. Pour into it because it's worth pouring into. I believe this church is worth giving toward because I believe that the gospel is going forth in this church. And I know the staff, they love Jesus. And I know the elders, they love Jesus. And we want to see him honored. And we want to do as much as we can. So just pray about that. Pray about how God is moving in your heart today. If this is the concept, you're, if you're a guest here, this isn't for you. But man, if you feel like giving, God's moved on you, give. Uh, if you're listening, uh, there's thousands that listen to us every week. Give to your own church first. But if you want to give above and beyond to, and help Door of Hope because you're being fed, give. But the fact is, is I'm looking to the people that are sitting in front of me and there's enough here to support what God is doing. We're not asking for much. Um, we just wanna give to God what is necessary for him to do his purposes in and through our lives, amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel. And our prayer today is that you would move in our hearts, in our minds, that we would live sacrificially for you and for your kingdom, that we would recognize that all that we are and all that we have belongs to you. And Lord, I just pray, I pray against the, the enemy um, attack, the, the ways that we can fall into the trappings of, of uh, a scarcity mentality where we have to protect what we have um, because we're fearful of, of what we don't know is coming. <laughs> uh, Lord, we are called to not worry about tomorrow for sufficient are the troubles of the day. And today, Lord, I come before my brothers and sisters as a pastor in this church that saying this church needs help and it needs help from its own people. And I pray that we would rise to the occasion and that we wouldn't just be moved by a single message to give once, but that we would be a people that begin to live in accordance with that which brings joy to you, which is one who holds loosely to the things that they have given and recognizes that everything we are, everything we have is a gift from you. 
And Lord, may we use it all to bring honor to your name. And so Jesus, I pray that we would be a radically generous people and that we would not be controlled by mammon, but that we would be controlled by love, that love would be the sole motivation. So Lord, may we move into this time as a reflection of your incredible gift of grace toward us in Jesus. Amen. Hey friends, this is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to dooroftheopepdx.org and click Give from the menu bar. May God bless you.